Dear people, Pastor Ramsey, if I can just basically take your lesson and just continue from it. You know, he made a call yesterday that there's one group of people that'll make a change in this dear country of ours. Who was that? It is you. He called you. He said, you are the one that'll make the change. Why did he say that? You know, let me start there in Revelation chapter 12. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of great eagles, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, where she's nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of a serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of a flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which a dragon has cast out of his mouth. And, and the dragon was wroth with a woman, and went to make war with a remnant of her seed, which keep the commandment of God, and having the testimony of Jesus Christ. So where I want to start is, you know, that flood that the dragon has cast out over America or over the world is this doctrine of feel happy, this fluff doctrine that has been preached in this country, this go-to-heaven business and fly-away business. But it says there when he did finish that, he went to make war with who? That is the remnant that Pastor Ramsey talked about last night. Are you that remnant? Are you, is your child trained to be part of that remnant group? Is it part of that remnant group? But as the commandments of God, it says thou, means you. Are you holding those ten commandments dear to your heart? And then it says, but have a testimony, the faith of our forefathers. And what is the second word there? I believe. Do you believe? And it says of Jesus Christ there too, I believe in him. And it says there of the Holy Spirit, I believe. I believe in in our God. But hold on to the testimony. And then if you, you know, if you look at that Apostles' Creed, not, not the Apostles' Creed, but the, uh, the Nicene Creed, it adds one little thing there that I want to highlight. Whose kingdom shall have Dear people, that kingdom, that kingdom is in you. That kingdom has to come alive in you. That kingdom is that faith, that faith, that belief. There's a kingdom that has no end. Is it true in you? Are you bringing it to your children in truth? that that child can stand on the promises with a city that has foundation. What did Pastor ask us last night? He asked you, do you have that faith that will overcome because the Satan and the devil himself is after you? But I'll tell you one thing, also what Pastor said last night, it's up to you now. Because Christ said in his prayer, thy kingdom come in what? In earth as it is in? So there's a duty that you have to perform. 
to make a change, firstly in your life, but in the neighborhood where you live and in the land where, you grow, where, where, where we reside. Are we able? Do we know why that is so important? Let's turn back. You know, it's, there's always a beginning in time. Can you imagine, put yourselves in the shoes of Adam and Eve when sin entered into this world. Imagine, there is still no remedy. There's no hope. There's a feel that you lost something. You're not clothed anymore. What did he do? What did he and Eve do? They sewed fig leaves together and made a bikini. Religious bikini. A way to bring self-righteousness that they could face a living God again. And when God called, Adam, where art thou? Did he say, Oh, I got a bikini on. Oh, what did he say? I was afraid. I heard thy voice in the garden. And I was afraid. Because I was naked. And I hid myself. If we face almighty God... The righteousness of a holy God. There is nothing that you can do. Our own righteousness means nothing. Pilgrims and strangers, where you do stand today spiritually, where are you standing? Are you standing on the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Or are you standing where Adam and Eve stood in their own righteousness that failed? Are you clothed with thick leaves, the righteousness you make up to fool God? After God brought Adam and Eve to accountability back from their thick leaf righteousness, God made a pathway for a pilgrimage on earth. He, he gave a pathway that was not existing before. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothed them. Dear people, there's two kinds of fruit that will be born in this land today, in our midst. What fruit are you bearing? The fruit of Abel or the fruit of Cain? The fruit of self-righteousness. I pray that each and every one, each parent here present today, will have a fruit of Abel that cries out even today. And that fruit is found in Hebrew, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith, believe, is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, faith, the elders obtained a good report through faith, we understand that the world were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gift. And by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. Do you know what Abel is even telling you today? What is the righteousness that has been talked of here? 
the pathway that God gave to Adam and Eve. You realize when, when Adam and Eve were taken out of the garden, they had to face an angel with a sword, burning sword. They could not enter into that place again. But when he showed them with that sacrifice where he got the clothes from, he clothed them on the pilgrimage to that kingdom back again. That is what Abel was able to see because his parents were able to transfer it to him. When he offered that sacrifice, he saw a city with foundation, a city where his father came from, where you walk with God in the cool of the evening. That city that Hebrews 13 talks of, for here have we no continuous city, meaning this earth, but we seek one to come. This city is explained very clearly. Let's turn all to 2 Corinthians 3. And there's a quite a bit of reading here that I want to highlight to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we, as some other epistle of commendation to you or letter of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministry by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of a living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshly tabernacles of our heart. That belief, that faith, is internal. And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, meaning that provided. Who also have made us able ministers of a new, new testament, not of a letter, this side, but of a spirit, for the letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. And we'll talk about that. But if a ministration of death written and engraved in stone, the Ten Commandments, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How much, how shall not the ministration of his spirit be rather glorious. Let me read that again. How shall not the ministration of a spirit be rather glorious? For if a ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth a ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of a glory that ex excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. What he has in store for you that you can see and hold on to. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Moses had to put a veil in front of his face. Why? That the children of Israel could not look into his face in his, in his eye and see the end. Because they couldn't handle that for the time. But now the question is this. And not... Uh, but their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil, the law, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. I believe. 
But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon the heart. Why is that still on the heart? And we'll go into that. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, how do you turn to the Lord? What is the first thing that man should do in the new covenant? The veil shall be taken away. Then you'll see. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, behold as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image, from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. And that is what is what Pastor said last night. It is up to you for those that can see, that, can, that are changed into this glorious image of Jesus Christ. We can't but do it. But it all started in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant had a foreshadowing of things to come. And that sacrifice, basically the shadowing, comes and starts at Passover. as where we started in the spring. And that covenant of Passover started with what? Blood. Pentecost, the first fruits. Trumpets, the announcement. Atonement, righteousness. Tabernacles, God with us. He took us from the start. He took us from where we need to start when he, he, he uh, offered the first sacrifice that God showed Adam and Eve and clothed them. He showed them there's a process each and every one of us has to take Amen. to attain righteousness, to tabernacle finally with him. And he wants each year that we remember that and walk in the steps of that, 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 that what he showed for us. Isaiah chapter 42, it states, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. This talks of Jesus Christ. The law of Passover and all the feast days, the law of sacrifice, he'll make it honorable. He'll magnify it. How is that? How is it, dear people? Because it goes to the inner heart. He changes you in the inner heart. And in John 3, verse 8, it says, Bring forth, therefore, fruit, meat for repentance. What is that meaning, then, that we bring forth the fruit of repentance? That we are truly changing our way in our heart, not just in our mind. That we make 180 away from where we were before and go on the right way as a people. And what, what, is, what does John say? He, he has the, uh, the baptism for repentance. And what is his first words that he utters? Repent for, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why does he say, do we need to repent? There's a kingdom coming, something so glorious, something so beautiful. It is worth repenting for. Yes. It is that place that Adam had yes. where he walked in the cool of the evening with God. Amen. And what is Jesus' first words too? The same. But when Jesus goes to, to John to be baptized... John says he recognizes Jesus as the Lamb of God. He says, oh, my Lord, I cannot baptize you. You better baptize me. But what does Christ say? Let's all turn to that. 
Matthew chapter 3. And I think this is so beautiful, it is just absolutely gorgeous. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fill all righteousness. This, it has to happen in order to fill all righteousness. And he suffered him. And the beautiful words that are next are for you the same way. If you go into that obedience of repentance and acknowledging that there's a covenant made with our forefathers that we have to follow in. And it says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were what? Were opened unto him. This is what will happen to you. The heavens will be opened. That you can see something in your, in your eye as so far away that is real. And the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. That's the Holy Spirit, the gift that God, Jesus, will give you. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Did Jesus have to repeat Mary's name twice when, when, uh, after the resurrection? This is... Jesus knows your name. And if he says it, it's going to be the most beautiful thing you ever heard. This is up for you, dear children of Israel, to make a change first in your own self and then in our community. It talks of a faith that is so glorious. The faith, thy kingdom come. And then Jesus' first words on earth are too. The same way as John. And he magnifies this. And he says, repent. For what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it goes on. And it says, and he preached the gospel of the people. And under the old covenant, we were identity believers. Yeah. Not that identity is changed now to all races. In contrast, it's even more strict. It's even a smaller group. Yeah. But people, you are kingdom bound. Yeah. That is what Jesus wants for you. To be kingdom bound. What are the prerequisites of that kingdom? Think a little bit about Moses. He had to put a veil in front of his face because in his personal life, in his hard situation with God, he saw something that was so great that he would even say when God says, I want to wipe out everybody and start with you, that he's able to say and fall down before God and say, no, 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 no. Rather take my life but spare your people. What causes a man to, to be so that, that he thinks everything of a bride of Christ? And then he's called the meekest man on earth. And the prerequisites of that kingdom, how to enter that kingdom, are laid out in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in the uh, Beatitudes. And meekness is one of them. How much are we shaped by those prerequisites that Jesus set forth? Or are we still the letter of the law? Because if we enter in into the prerequisites of God's kingdom, we will automatically do these things because we love Him. Each and every one of them. 
And in, in Christ's prayer, he says, Thy kingdom come in earth as it is in heaven. That's a call to action. There's a call of action here that God is calling, that Jesus is saying. You can't just be a diddly Christian here, you know, that sees everything in the clouds. And if hard times comes, you'll be taken out of it. He said, put your gloves on. Put your boots on. Do something about it. The first place where you start is yourself. Did you do something about that? Children of the living God, and I mean young, young children now, how diligent are you to seek the will of God for your life, dear children? Did you make the choice? You know, as, as he said, the first verse that I voluntarily memorized as a child, let little children come unto me. Because I knew that I was a child and I wanted to be part of that kingdom. That's why I, that was the first verse I memorized voluntarily. And I want to tell you a story, a story that is actually very dear to my heart. There was a sermon made, that, that scripture verse that I read there out of uh, Revelation chapter 12, 1838 in Germany, that caused us to move to South Africa. And then through time, in 1938, the church where I grew up in, Augsburg, there was a little what they called the Filters House a few years before that they built, and they outgrew that building. And my grandfather was part of that church, and they built this beautiful new church. Could probably seat about 700 people. And they moved out of that old church with all the holy vessels into the new church. When they moved in, my grandfather took five of his children, the older children, and right in front of the door where the concrete ended, was a rose bed. And he held those five children, and he knelt down, and he cried there. He sobbed out there. Everybody was already in. And then he tells his children, my children, the time comes that this beautiful church and the, the teaching of this church will not be scriptural anymore. I want to tell you one thing. Open your word, the word of God, and read it and put it in your heart because you have to live by the scriptures. And when he was done, he moved in. The 100th anniversary is this coming week of that church. And the Senate has a meeting there. They, they do it two weekends and in the middle of the week. Guess what? They are deciding on what to do in the Lutheran Church right now in South Africa. If dogs should be allowed, meaning queers, to be preachers. The prophecy he made to his children is real. This kingdom on earth, the only way you as children can grow up to be young men and, and, and women in Israel is to read that beautiful word of God be in front. That is the, the, the way, the truth, life that will give you life. And interestingly enough, in all of South Africa, there's five people that are opposed to it. Not even ministers. Five people. People, you are called to be part of the remnant of Jesus Christ. Yeah. 
Hold on to the word of God. Hold on to that testimony. The testimony that he cries, thy kingdom come. What changes are you making? And I can say the same thing of this church. We are blessed. And for me, I, I feel very blessed that God called me from that country. He didn't put me anywhere here in the United States. He put me in this church. Why? Because those two things are right there in the front. The faith of my forefathers, the faith that my father had, the faith of my grandfather. It's a different land. Same people, same faith. Are you part of that faith? What drives a people? What drove Abel and on in the faith chapter? If you look in Hebrews, what drove those forefathers that it says, and this cloud of witnesses that were behind us? What was the driving force of these people? And interestingly enough, it starts with Abel. And most of those people, or all of them, they are all pre-Christ that it talks of, most of them. What drove a mother to hold a child in the front in the Colosseums that the lion will eat it first? What makes a mother that strong to do that? It says of Abraham, by faith Abraham, in Hebrews 11, when he was called to go out of a place which he should afterwards receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, belief, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. Isn't that interesting? As in a strange country, but it's the land of promise. Dwelling in tabernacles and tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heir with him of the same promise. And what does the next verse say? For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Is your vision keen enough to discern why you are here on this journey as a pilgrim? Or are you just a stranger that knows something is wrong but has no destination? Dear Israel, it is time to change our way. We should stop being strangers just to feel something is wrong, like in America yesterday. But a pilgrim, our forefather pilgrims, they knew where they're going. They knew what they should be doing. They had a purpose. What about you? Are you a pilgrim? On this pilgrimage that Christ laid out for you? Isaiah talks, you know, that's a beautiful chapter in Isaiah for me. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 26. You know, we could read the whole chapter, but it talks of the beauty of God, how it is, if you're in the state of the kingdom, if you see the state, you cannot but worship, praise, glorify, you cannot but do it. And he, he, he talks about it in the first verses there. It even says there in verse 9, With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. Yeah, I, I had a major problem to give this lesson. Because 
I did not know how do you talk of God's holiness and the, the beauty that he has prepared for his children and use mortal tongue. How do I use English as a language to describe what God has for you? I, I, I personally don't think it's possible that I could. But I know it's true. If you see it here, the rest comes automatic. It is nothing but it will just bubble out of you. It will not be a question anymore. If a hymnal is opened and the piano starts singing, that you, you could not be quiet. You have to utter the joy of your salvation. And when, when we worship our God in the mornings, you could not but kneel down and worship because you see something that is God's kingdom for you. But it says there, you know, it, it's, it's almost sad words to read. But it's, it, it first goes in. Like as a woman with child that draweth near the time of her delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pangs, so have we been in the sight of the Lord. A woman cannot but do what she ought to do to bring that child forward. That's how we ought to be. But then the words of God say something different. And he says right here, we have been with child. We have been in pain. Meaning we see the pain around us. We have, as it were, brought forth wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. Neither have the inhabitants of the world fallen. Meaning it's not like a woman that brought forth something real, tangible, beautiful, new life. It's wind. Christians have not, and I want to clarify, remnant. The remnant has, have not done their job here in, in this earth to bring deliverance. Look at, 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 at the break, at the hardship with one another, how we treat one another in the kingdom camps in this country, Amen. in this world. And it's one reason, one reason only, we don't see the king. Amen. Yeah. We don't see the king's kingdom for you. Look at Christ. When he came to earth, he was willing to walk that walk as a lamb, to be slain, to be whipped. And he had one person in mind, the bright, you. The only reason he could be there, because he, didn't, he saw his kingdom with you in it. He wanted you to be in there. That's why he could endure it. He did work of it. Now the question I'm asking you, do you see the bridegroom? You are the bride. Will you do your work on earth, in your family, in your church? to bring forth God's kingdom because we want to see our groom. We are the bride. The same way. And it is so beautiful for me if I look at Scripture, the few windows that are in the Word of God about God's kingdom and the reaction when people see it. 
And there's many examples, but let's just turn. And I'll, I'll turn in Revelations chapter 19. And I'll start in verse 7. Let us be, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of a lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready. We are being found ready if we hold on to the law and the, command, uh, the testimony and go the next step and see that God's kingdom. We are the bride that clothed ourselves with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And to her was granted. She should be arrayed in fine linen. clean and white. Dear people, I long for that. For my children, that they are going to be clothed in the fine linen, clean and white. Yes. I long for that linen to be on me. Yeah. And I long for it for each and every one of you. That you wear that. It does not matter if I die today or tomorrow. That right. I have a clean clothes on that I will enter into that gate. Amen. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Yes. And he said unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And the next verse, it says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. This is John's reaction. Seeing the bride, the groom, all clean and white, ready for one another. That he's part of that. And he just wants to fall down. Language cannot utter. Worship can. Praise can. And he fell at the feet of him. And he said unto me, the angel, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. And of thy brethren that have a testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what does he say? If I see this, but I need to learn to give myself over to worship and to sing praise, to bring glory to his name. That's the true sign of a convicted Christian. That was the first thing that I noticed when I got to be part of the kingdom circles in South Africa. And I came out of a congregation, a German congregation that could sing. But when I, there were just a handful of people. But my goodness, they had to put new bolts into the roof. It is just you couldn't but sing. And if you say you cannot sing, learn to make a noise then. Make a joyful noise. Or don't show the rest that you are not there yet. Attain that. Amen. And the next verse, verses, it, it says again, Revelation chapter 22. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. Meaning, this is the river of life. The throne of God. The river coming from the throne of God, clear as crystal. The tree of life in the midst of it. The boughs hanging over. 
all the way to the edge of, of, of a stream. He saw these things, the beauty of his God. And when I heard this and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel which showed me these things. Again, the second time, when he saw this, his knees just got too wobbly. Because this, he, he could see where Adam and Eve were. Finally, that pilgrimage is over. You can attain it. But dear people, our pilgrimage is not over yet. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to live out that pilgrimage in glumness as an identity believer that is too proud of his own flesh? Look at that city, dear people of God. Amen. You are nothing. Just look at your groom. What is he dressed with? And take the robes that he's offering for you. The beautiful covenants in Scripture are all leading to that same point. Amen. That's why he called Abraham. All the Abrahamic covenants point to one place. But you can wear those robes and be found righteous. And I saw a new heaven. America has nothing to offer me. Nothing. But I see a new heaven starting in this church. I see new heaven starting in this county. But it's going to be like a wildfire going through this world. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of a heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Dear people, you are called for that. The name of your tribe is written on that gate. And if you go to the wrong gate, because how do I truly know where I'm? I can believe I'm Judah, but I might go to Judah's gate running up there, and the angel says, no, 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 no. You're Ephraim. <laughs> and I won't be upset at all. <laughs> because, you know, he gave me entrance. Right. He gave me entrance. Amen. That angel is waiting for you. To show you the way in into God's kingdom. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them, and be their God. You know, there's many tears in this, this world that we live in. But look what is waiting for you again. It's worth looking for. It says there, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The sorrow, the pain, the loss. And there shall be no more death. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he, 
He that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Children of God, look for the kingdom come. Amen. Thy kingdom come. God's kingdom for you, prepared for you. Let's take a, one's hands, uphold one another, stretch out, and show them if anybody falls down. Dear person, look there. Wow. I want to encourage you for that. Thy kingdom come in earth as it is today. Let's the joy that God gives us in this feast time as the examples that he's giving us for that. Amen. Our pathway as a pilgrimage way. Yes. Let's use them. Let's love one another fervently. Amen. Just like Moses. But would rather see him taken out of it than his brothers. And I I can just say again, thank you, my God, Amen. for calling me to such a beautiful the gospel of the kingdom. Amen.